Good morning. I'm glad to be here with you today. I hope you've had a good week. Hope you've uh, enjoyed yourself this week and have had good health. And we're going to talk a little bit. We're still in the book of Joshua. But as you know, this is also Easter Sunday and everyone around America at least and probably around the world thinks about the resurrection of Jesus on today. Um, You know, as Matt mentioned in his prayer, that's something we ought to think about on a real regular basis and not just today. After Jesus was resurrected, the Bible says that He spent about 40 days with His disciples. And you know, you think about that, and they thought He was dead, and now He's back, and He spends about 40 days with them. You know what they talked about during those 40 days? Wouldn't you have lots of questions? Wouldn't you have lots of things you wanted to know and think about with Jesus? The Bible says that during those 40 days, He opened to them, or opened their understanding of all the things in the Scriptures concerning Himself. In other words, He went and He taught them how that everything in the Bible was all about Him and all about what had gone on. Now, the reason I preface my sermon with that this morning is because this is an odd story to preach on on Easter Sunday. The story of Achan. The story of a guy who committed a sin and paid a terrible price for that sin. But I believe, as I've studied it, that there is a tremendous message of Jesus Christ. And I want you to watch with me as this story unfolds. Now, where we begin, Israel has fought in a great battle and they've won this great battle. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I've given Jericho into your hand. You remember the story, they've come into the promised land, the land where God had hundreds of years earlier said, this is going to be your land. And they waited for hundreds of years, but they're finally here. And they come in and they the first thing that happens is manna stops. Now you remember for 40 years they've been wandering around, there'd been manna. Every morning there's no more manna because they don't need it. They're in the land that flows with milk and honey. They circumcise all the men, they celebrate the Passover, and then God tells them to get busy with the business of taking this land that He had promised to them a long time ago. The first place was Jericho. Brother Eddie talked about Jericho and how it had these double walls and how they walked around the walls once a day for six days and then the last day they walk around seven times and they shout and they blow their trumpets and the walls just crumble except for the wall where Rahab the harlot who was a child of God in a foreign land as she became an Israelite that day. And she was saved and Jericho was destroyed. You know, before that happened, it was already mentioned in, I believe it was Yancey's sermon, that Joshua went to pray before they had this battle. And he went to seek God and to talk to God before this great battle. And I hope in your life, it's your habit when you have something big coming down to go talk to God first. He did. And he saw a man, a man standing with a sword drawn. It was a warrior. And he went to this warrior and he said, Are you for us or are you against us? And he said, I am the commander of the host of God. I'm the commander of the Lord's host. And and he knew that God was with them. And God gave them a great victory, a tremendous victory over this city of Jericho. 
Well, just across the valley now, there's another place called Ai. And they're moving right on through this land and they're going to go take this whole land. Ai is a small city. Ai's only got about 12,000 people in the city. And so Joshua sends some spies. The spies go. And when they come back, they say this, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. Here's what they said. Don't worry about it. We just destroyed a big city. And we did it in big fashion. Don't worry about the whole army, my goodness. We don't need the whole army for this little deal. It's just a small city. And so they went up to fight against this city. In fact, they sent 3,000 soldiers. The Bible says, So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. Now that's kind of strange. Here they've won this great victory. God's with them. He promised to give them this land. The commander of the Lord host is there. He gives them the victory over Jericho. And they come in and they go to fight this little nothing town with 3,000 really well-trained, hard battle-hardened soldiers. And they get defeated. Something went wrong. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what went wrong in the battle. It tells us that 36 of the Israelites were killed. But this wasn't one of those close, but they barely beat us kind of battles. This was a a wipeout. This This was utter chaos. They were utterly defeated. They ran back to their camp like a bunch of schoolgirls. And they failed. You know why they ran? Well, the Bible tells us that. It says the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Their hearts melted and they became like water because they were confused and they were afraid. Have you ever been confused and afraid in your life? Has anything happened that just ever, that just kind of knocked you off center and you said, I I don't know what's going to happen. I know it has with some of us. It has with me. They didn't know what happened. I mean, here they had planned and thought that they were going to just roll through this victory after victory after victory. But their hearts became like water. You know, when something melts, it's not strong anymore. It's soft. Their heart became like water. You know, water, if we were to take water and pour it on this table right here, you know what it would do is it would run to the edges and fall off. And if there were any cracks, it would run down in those cracks because it has no strength. And that's exactly the way Israel was. They just ran. They ran and hid and they were afraid and they were confused and they didn't know what to do. And Joshua is also confused. Joshua goes and he says, God, why? And he goes and he bows before the Ark of the Covenant and he begins to pray to God and he says, why? He's afraid. He's confused. He didn't know what to do. This is, number one, a referendum on his leadership. I mean, he's bringing them here. He's the guy who's supposed to lead these people. He's supposed to make wise decisions and it failed. He can't get his mind around it. What happened? Why did we lose to little Ai when we just defeated Jericho? Does that make any sense? Doesn't make any sense at all. Why would that happen? 
Why were they why were they abandoned by God? I mean, he no doubt remembered standing there talking to the commander of the Lord's host and the commander reassuring him that yes, I'm with you and we're going to win this battle. And they lose. Why would God allow that to happen? Well, he tells him. He says to him, Joshua, get up. I'm going to tell you what went wrong. I want you to go and realize that Israel has sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. You know what he says to them? He says, Joshua, you get up. The reason this happened is because Israel sinned. Now put yourself in the place of Joshua. He doesn't know anything about what Achan's done. He just knows he's leading these people and they lose. And God says, all right, you lost because Israel sinned. Don't you know he's searching his mind and he's going, what did we do? Did we, I mean, I prayed, we, we sought the Lord. We, what did we do? And then God tells him what they did. He says, for they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. He says, Joshua, there's sin in the camp. Now the accursed things, you know what that was? Well, if you go back a chapter, when they went in to fight Jericho, God said this to them, Abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. He says, you know what? When you go into this, God had cursed everything in Jericho. He says, I'm going to destroy it. All of it except the gold, the silver, and the bronze. You put those in the treasury. Everything else is to be destroyed. He said, don't touch it. Don't take it. Because if you do, you're going to become accursed. And all of Israel is going to be troubled because of what you've done. Well, Joshua no doubt remembered that. That had just happened a few days ago, right? Joshua no doubt knew exactly what God's talking about. Somebody took some stuff out of Jericho. And you know what else God told him? God told him this. He said, neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. He says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be with you anymore. It's over. Your, your John into the promised land was just a short vacation because it's over. I'm not helping you anymore unless you destroy this. And he told him, he said, you get up and you tell Israel what I've told you. You tell Israel that somebody took the accursed things. And then you cause Israel to come before you by tribe. And I'm going to tell you what tribe. And when he did, he chose the tribe of Judah. And he said, then I want you to cause the people in the tribe of Judah to come before you by family. And when he did, he chose the tribe of the Zaharites, the family of the Zaharites. And he said, I want you to bring the, each of the families of this larger family. And he chose the family of Zabdi. And then he chose the family of Achan. Now, I don't know how God did that. I don't know if they cast lots, which is what they did often. It doesn't tell us that, but we know that God pointed the finger square at Achan. He told Joshua, that's the guy. So Joshua says to Achan, you've been caught. You ever get caught? You know that 
feeling in the pit of your stomach when you get caught? Yeah. He got caught. And he said, you've been caught. You might as well humble yourself before God and confess because we got you. And so Achan did. Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. He says, I took it. You're right, you got me. I saw it and it was beautiful. Now, I don't know what Babylonian garments looked like. I've read that they were like these tapestries that they hang up in palaces and stuff, just very, very beautiful. I don't know. I, as a, as a American guy, can't imagine seeing some clothes and go, those are so beautiful, I'm going to steal them. <laughs> that just doesn't jive with me. But that's what happened. Maybe he looked at it and he said, man, my wife would look sweet in that. (laughs) I don't know. But he took them. And he took some silver. And he took some gold. And he took them to his tent. And he buried them in the floor of his tent. And he told Joshua where they were. And Joshua sent men. And they went and got them. And they brought them back. And there was the wedge of gold and the shekels of silver. And there was this Babylonian garment there in front of all of Israel that's gathered around. And we read this. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. They got this man and they took his wife and they took his kids and they took his dogs and they took his donkeys and his sheep and all of his livestock and they took everything he had, including that Babylonian garment and that silver and that gold and his tent and all of his possessions. And they threw rocks at him and his family till they were dead. And they threw rocks at all the animals till the animals were dead. And then they piled them all up in one great big pile and they set it on fire and destroyed that accursed thing from Israel. Now, that's a horrible story, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, we think about that and we go, man, that's, how could God be so harsh? But you know what? This isn't the only story in the Bible like this. God has always taken a very strong stand against sin. In the Old Testament, we find the story of Adam and Eve. They were cursed and expelled from the garden for eating a piece of fruit. You ever tell your kids not to eat something and they eat it? Would you kick them out of the house for that? God did. You know, that's not the only story. There was a man picking up sticks on the Sabbath and they stoned him to death. Moses was excluded from the promised land. Moses, the guy who led Israel, God said, no, you can't go into the promised land. Uzzah was killed for touching the Ark of the Covenant. They went over a rough spot and it's going to fall and he grabs it. God struck him dead just like that. The Amalekites were totally wiped out by Israel. David and Bathsheba, you remember that story, their baby died because of their sin. 
the young prophet who went and prophesied against Jeremiah and this false religion. Coming back, God said, don't eat anything. And somebody lied to him, deceived him. He went and ate something and God sent a lion to kill him. Somebody says, those are horrible stories. But you know, that was all the Old Testament. But you know what? We've got stories like that in the New Testament. Ananias and Sapphira. You know what their sin was? They sold property and gave the money to the church. Can you imagine? Oh, but you know what else they did? They lied about how much they gave. They pretended all of it when they really didn't. God struck them dead. Now, I'll put all those stories up there for a reason. You know, when I think about these things, and often in our culture today, you hear about some of these stories and you hear people say, that's unfair. That's not fair. How could God do that? How could God kill those children with that man? How could God kill His wife with that man? You know, there's a lot about this story we don't know. We don't know how old the kids were. When it says children, we think of little kids. They may be as, be as old as Ken or Dusty. We don't know how old the kids were. We also don't know if maybe the whole family was in on it. I mean, he had to bury it right in the middle of the tent. You'd think maybe they knew about it and maybe they were all apart. I don't know. Here's what I do know. I know that what seems fair or unfair to you is irrelevant. It doesn't matter if it seems fair to you or not because the truth is you are not the judge. God is is the judge. You don't get to bring God, your Creator, into your courtroom and pass judgment on Him. He's God. You don't get the right, no matter how powerful a man or woman or person you are, you don't get the right to judge God because He is God and you are not. And because He is God and you are not, you don't get to judge Him. He will judge you. He will judge you for the things that you do in your life. He'll judge you for the choices you make and whether you obey Him or not. You don't get to bring Him into your courtroom. You're going to go into His courtroom because it's appointed unto man once to die and after that... Can you finish that verse? Some of you can. After that, the judgment... And we will be judged. You know, in the New Testament, Romans chapter 9, Israel challenged God in His fairness. They said, it's not fair, you're rejecting Israel. We've always been your people, and now you're accepting those old evil Gentiles. That's not fair. And you know how Paul answered that? He said, how dare you question God? He's God. He made you. And if he wants to make something and destroy it, he can do that. You know, if I were to take a a pen or a pencil and maybe even crayons or colors and paint or draw a beautiful picture or an ugly picture, whatever I want to do, you know, that's mine. And if I want to crumple it up and throw it in the trash, I can crumple it up and throw it in the trash because I made it. It's mine. And if God wants to make you and me and then just destroy us, He can do that because He's God and He made us Because He's God, we have no right to challenge Him. The analogy Paul uses is He's the potter and we're the clay. I know we're big bad Americans and nobody messes with America and we can do whatever we want in this world. I'm telling you, that's not true with God. We stand before Him. You see, 
The beautiful part of this story, though, is even though God has every right to do that, He tells us in Romans chapter 10, He says, don't you dare question God. He can save or destroy anyone He wants. In the end of that, He says, however, He hasn't arbitrarily chosen who to save and who to destroy. What He's done is He's chosen to reject those who reject His Son. So even though God has every right to arbitrarily just destroy anyone He wants, that's not the way God works. He judges righteously. You see, our problem is that you and I can't see the way God sees. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, God doesn't just look at somebody eating a piece of fruit... But God looks at the heart that caused that person to eat a piece of fruit. And God is just. He can see things that you can't see. He can know things that you can't... I don't care how smart you are. God knows and sees things that you don't know and see. Because God sees people's heart. You see, He sees not just what they do, but He sees the reasons and the motives behind what they do. In the book of Numbers, Jesus or God had explained this to them. He said this, If you sin, if it is unintentionally committed, without the knowledge of the congregation, offer one young bullock or one young bull as a burnt offering, and it shall be forgiven them, for it was unintentional. He says, you know what? If you commit an unintentional sin, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to offer a sacrifice. Okay? The next verse says this, But the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he is native-born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord, and he shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord. So he's got two different ways that people commit sin. One he calls unintentional. Now, when I think of unintentional sin, what I normally think about is something that's an accident, something that I didn't mean to do, something that I didn't even know was wrong, you know. If we were to find out all of a sudden that having having church and worship services on pews that had blue coverings, and we had never known that was a sin, that would be unintentional sin, Right? But that's not what he's talking about. Unintentional means without intent. That's what it means. And he contrasts that with presumptuous. He says, you commit unintentional sin, you offer sacrifice. But if it's presumptuous sin, presumptuous sin is different, you see. We've got an example of someone who was presumptuous. The word presumptuous means to lift up or to exalt yourself. And what it is, is it's rebellious, defiant sin. It's the heart that says, I don't care what God said, that's what I'm going to do. That heart that's defiant against God. We've got an example of that with a guy named Pharaoh that Israel had seen just a few years before. When Moses came to him and said, let the people go, look at his answer. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? Look at there. I am, I am God in Egypt. Who is your God? He ain't telling me what to do. Now, 
The kind of sin that we're talking about here is sin that Achan committed. It wasn't unintentional sin. Unintentional sin, the way you dealt with that was a sacrifice. This was sin that was defiant. Because God's answer to defiant sin was always to destroy the defiant sinner. And so Achan sinned presumptuously, and as a direct result, he and all that were his were cut off from the people of God. I don't believe this was unjust of God at all. God had laid it out. Now, when we talk about this, it's important for you to think about today when you commit sin, because we all commit sin, we all agree that we're all people who sin. Do you know what is right and intentionally, with intent, say, I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. You know, the truth in this story, he destroys Achan and his whole family. You know what I learned from that? God absolutely despises sin. He cannot and He will not tolerate sin. We just dismiss sin so much in our culture like it's no big deal. Like it's nothing. Ah, you want to serve God? Okay, do it on Easter. That's fine. The rest of your life you do what you want with. Because it's your life, you ought to have the right to do whatever you want. I'm going to tell you, God hates sin. God despises sin. And the Bible says that God despises those who choose that sin. It's one thing to be a sincere heart in seeking to follow God and making mistakes and failing and having weakness and failing. That that happens. And God knows that and God tolerates. I say tolerates, God forgives that. But God does not look the other way with someone who is defiant against Him and knows what's right and knows what God wants and says, I don't care, I'm going to do this other anyway. The Scriptures say this, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden His face from you. When you sin, it separates you from God. It moves you away from Him. And you know what the rest of that verse says? It says, so that He will not hear. That's a choice God makes. And if you choose defiant, rebellious sin, when you pray to God, don't expect Him to answer you. He will not hear. You've been separated from Him. You see, sin, the Bible teaches us, makes you God's enemy. Now, i tell you what. There's a lot of people in this world that I wouldn't mind having for enemies. Probably a lot of them I do have for enemies. ISIS would be a real big enemy of all of us, right? doesn't bother me at all that ISIS is my enemy. But I don't want God as my enemy. Do you? I want God on my side. But when I choose rebellious sin, when I choose to say, I know what God says and I don't care, I'm going to do what I want to do. What that does is that makes me an alien, an enemy of God. And the Bible says that all God's enemies are going to be destroyed. And I don't want to be in that camp. Somebody says, well, if God hates sin so much, won't He just condemn everyone? Because we're all guilty, right? 
Yeah, I mean, if, if it really makes all of us His enemy, won't He just destroy everyone? And I'll tell you, sin is very, very, very costly. But on one hand, you've got the hatred of God for sin. On the other side, you've got a balancing part of God. And that balance is love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. So not only does God hate sin, the flip side of that is God loves you and I so much that He doesn't want you and I to have to die for our sin. God hates your sin and He despises it and He will not tolerate it, but God loves you and He wants you to be saved. That's why in Romans it says this, God demonstrated His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The truth is, God loves you. He hates the sin, but He loves you. And He wants you to repent of the sin. You know why He sent Jesus here? The Bible tells us that He sent His only Son into the world, to, or not into the world, to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. God hates sin so bad, and the penalty of sin is death, and somebody's got to die for sin. But God loves you so much that even while you were His enemy, He sent His own Son to die for your sin. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You think it was harsh for Him to kill Achan's family? You think it was harsh for Achan's son to die? God took His own son's life for sin. God didn't just take Achan's son's life. He didn't just take David's son's life. God took the life of His own son because of sin. Because of how terrible sin is and how much God hates sin and how God will not look the other way. He took the life of His own Son, Jesus, for that. The Bible says He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with, with Him also freely give us all things? Do you think if God loved you so much that He wouldn't spare His Son, but had His Son die because of your sin, do you think that He'd hold something back from you that you needed? Do you think He'd tell you to do things that were harmful to you? No. Not at all. Not any chance. Jesus died because of my sin. The Bible tells us that. History tells us that. We know Jesus died because of our sin. But somebody says, you know what? A lot of people die. Lots of folks have died. Millions of people have died. And some of them that died said when they died, they were going to do things in the afterworld. How do we know? You know, just because He said He died, and He died for my sin, how does that help me? Why does that make any difference to me or to you? And I'll tell you, the answer to that is what people today celebrate in Easter. You see, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that 
and He was buried, and that He arose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You know, the gospel, the good news, is not just that Jesus died, but that He came, came back to, to life, that He was resurrected. That's a historical fact that that happened. And He's the only one who ever beat death. And He said, I'm dying for your sins and I'm going to make you right with God. You were His enemy because of your sin, but I'm going to take care of that and you're not going to be His enemy anymore. Because you see, if Jesus didn't come out of the grave, you're still in your sins. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. He didn't come out of the grave... He wasn't any different than Achan's boy that died. But he did. He came out of the grave. He was sinless. And Scripture says, but now Christ is risen from the dead, so in Christ shall all be made alive. You see, in Christ, Jesus was risen from the dead. And if you are in Christ, you're walking with Him, you're serving Him, Yes, you unintentionally sin. You do it without intent. You do it when you are weak or when you fail. There are times you know what you ought to do and you don't quite get there. But your intent and your desire is to serve God. Your heart is to serve Him. You want to do what God wants you to do. And your heart is never, I don't care what He said, I'm going to do what I want to do. When your heart is to serve Him and you're in Christ... You're not His enemy anymore. You're His child. You're a part of His family. You see, therefore, we are buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. He says, when you were baptized... Do you remember when you were baptized? Can I get some head nods, yes or no? Do you remember that? Do you remember when you were baptized? You know, the idea behind that was you were going to live your life serving Him, wasn't it? The idea was not you were going to live your life and serve Him for two or three years or ten years and then quit. You're going to live your life serving Jesus Christ, serving God because He gave His Son and raised His Son. You're, you're raised to walk in a new life. And I believe that's the message right here. He says, if we have been united together with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Were you united in the likeness of His death? Got a text this morning from Sean Zeebach. Some of you all know Sean. He said, one baptism at church this morning. It's exciting. It's a good thing. They had a baptism. Someone today was united in the death of Jesus raised to walk in a new life. And it's just as sure that you're united in His death when you're laid down in what we call that watery grave of baptism. You may have heard that term. That means you were laid down like Jesus was laid in His grave and you were raised up. And when you were, it's just like Jesus came out of that grave. You were raised up to walk a new life. Now, the application. You know I always have to have some application. The application of the sermon is this. Number one... If you got sin in your life, you need to kill it. You need to do everything you can do to get it out of your life. You need to hate it and you need to destroy it the same way that Israel hated Achan and destroyed him. You need to get rid of all of it. Whatever it is that's drawing you into that sin, get rid of it. If it's your TV, your internet, if it's your friends, 
Whatever it is that keeps dragging you back down that path into sin, you need to get rid of it. Kill it. I'm not telling you physically go kill your friends. I need to correct that. But if you've got a bad friend, you need to get away from them. Whatever it is that's going to drag you down that path into sin, you need to get rid of it. Number two, you need to remember that God hates sin. He hates sin and sin separates you from God. Number three, we need to remember that He's the judge, not us. Don't you dare ever go to the place where you're telling God He's not right or He's not fair. That's not our place and not our business to do. And fourth and finally, I'm going to tell you to remember that God hates sin so much that He didn't just destroy Achan's son, but He destroyed His own. But God loves you so much that He destroyed His own son for you. And He raised him out of the grave to walk a new life. I hope you've been inspired. If you're not right with God, God knows, I don't, but God does. And He's judging your heart and He's judging your life every minute of every day. And I encourage you today to renew your commitment. The commitment you made when you were baptized. You might say, oh, I haven't been baptized yet. If you hadn't been baptized and you need to, this is a good day to do that. To start that that walk with God. Saying, you know what? I am going to be with Him. I'm going to be raised and I'm going to walk with Him the rest of my life. If you have been baptized and you haven't walked with Him, today's the day to turn that around and get back in the camp of Israel instead of the camp of the enemy. If there's any way we can assist you, we offer a song of invitation while we stand and sing.